Would you turn with me, please, in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3, as this morning we're looking at the New Testament epistle of 1 John. And if you are joining us on our live stream broadcast or watching on our Fox Carolina television broadcast, 1 John chapter 3, and if you're unfamiliar with the New Testament, is tucked in away at the end, so almost at the book of Revelation, not quite, but almost, so flick towards the end as we come to read from 1 John chapter 3. And this morning we're reading verses 1 through 3, and then verses 16 and through 18. And it's helpful for you to know a little of the context as John is writing this epistle. John is probably in his late 80s or early 90s at this point. This is what's called a general epistle, which means that John is writing to several churches at the same time. Elsewhere in the New Testament, you will find the epistle to the Corinthians, the epistle to Philippians, and so on. But this letter doesn't have a designation. New Testament scholars tell us that there are several churches in the region of Asia Minor, which we know today as modern Turkey. And John is writing to encourage them to grow in their faith and to live out that faith day by day. So as we come to chapter 3, with all of that in mind, the Apostle John writes these words. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Now, we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And then we jump on down to verses 16 through 18. And John continues, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. We are aware, of course, that this is Stewardship Sunday, and I mentioned earlier that Stewardship Sunday is that time of the year. It lasts over about two or three weeks, Stewardship Sunday, Commitment Sunday, and we continue to emphasize stewardship during the first half of November. And we do so each year because as Christian folks, we are convinced that as God calls us to know him, and refines and shapes our lives. He changes everything about us. How we interact with our children and our parents, our grandparents, folks who live in our neighborhoods. He impacts the relationships we have with those we know and love, along with colleagues at work. 
He impacts our prayer life and our speech and our motivations and even our desires. And he gives us godly appetites to long to know him more. But he also impacts and refines what we do with our finances. And during this stewardship season, that's where our focus is. And so this next week, as we go into stewardship season, the idea is that we will prayerfully, when we receive our commitment card this week, take a realistic look at how we very practically and financially support the ministries God has called us to. And this morning we saw in that brief video clip how a number of our congregation have responded. And I would also have to say on behalf of each member of the congregation and our leadership here at First Pres, that quite honestly I'm absolutely convinced we have a remarkable congregation. And we have remarkable leadership who are committed, dedicated, who prayerfully faithfully, week by week, begin to say, Father, what ministries are you calling us to? And in fact, we support over 90 mission agencies locally, regionally, and in fact, in various places across the world. And so let me begin the stewardship season by saying to you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You truly are a remarkable people. And quite honestly, occasionally I find myself at pastors' conferences and I hear some of my colleagues talking about the blessings of ministry and encouragements, but also the challenges and the difficulties they face. And I tend to be very quiet on those occasions because we have genuinely a spectacular church. And I am grateful to you for all you do day by day by day in terms of your financial giving, but also in the sharing of your time and your talents and your prayers. So thank you for all of that. In fact, recently, over probably the last five or six weeks, folks have been saying to me, Richard, as we move into what I hope will be this post-COVID environment and we gradually get back to the normal rhythms and seasons of our lives, people are asking me, how did we do during COVID? And as a congregation, I think we did remarkably well. Not every congregation survived coming through COVID and across the nation, several churches have closed. And when I say several, that is a Scottish understatement, if ever there was one. And during this fall season, you will have received in the mail a fall magazine entitled From Striving to Thriving. And if you've had an opportunity just to flick through it, you will see some of the remarkable ministries that were not only surviving, but were in fact thriving. And in our magazine, and you have it at home, of course, you will know that we focused on our children's ministries and the excellent work our children's staff did in keeping up with our children during that COVID season. We also featured congregational care when our deacons and elders went above and beyond to care for those in need, did remarkable work. We also featured our music ministry, and you heard it this morning. It has moved to a whole new level over the last few years. We're deeply grateful for the way they lead us in worship on a Sunday morning. We also focused on the growth and the development and new emphasis in discipleship. 
I would have to tell you, not only do we see it on Sunday morning with folks actively involved in life groups, we see it on Wednesday night. And if you come on Wednesday night, you'll know how hard it is to get a parking spot. We have children and youth all the way through to senior adults. Wednesday night is a busy place as folks are developing their discipleship. They're engaging in marriage matters and grief support and divorce care. And the list goes on and on. And it's wonderful to see in addition to that, in our magazine is featured our mission committee, ministries in Egypt, Dominican Republic, the UK, and several others. It truly is breathtaking as you read it. There's a feature on our youth and young adults, and to be around those children and youth is always for me a great blessing to see the energy and the vibrancy and the longing to grow in their faith. First Presbyterian Academy, we heard of the outstanding work they are doing educationally and shaping young minds in terms of their development and maturing in their faith and in education. We heard it from Tom Rowe a couple of weeks ago. There's a feature on our budget, where we are spending our money, where are the emphasis and ministry imperatives and how we're supporting them. And it's laid out in great detail to you there and also in our capital campaign and it's worth me saying today and some of you are conscious of this I'm going to say a little more about it later that you only have to look immediately next door to see how well our capital campaign is doing and I'm going to mention that in a few moments one of the big surprises for me has been that on Sunday morning, how successful our live stream broadcast has been. And over the last 18 months, folks are joining us from the United Kingdom and Germany, from Brazil and the Dominican Republic, from India and Pakistan, from Nigeria and Zambia, from Switzerland and Canada, from South Africa and South Korea, Thailand and Indonesia. I mentioned Canada moments ago. And in fact, at its height, we had something like 12,824 hours of broadcast on our live stream during this COVID period. Now, those numbers have dropped off a little as churches across the world have started to open up because not everyone had the facilities that we had to be able to broadcast the services. And so when I say on a Sunday morning, welcome to those watching here in the U.S. and overseas, that is a very real welcome. We still have folks this morning watching from Cairo in Egypt and Albania and Australia, none of which I've mentioned there. It's been a remarkable ministry. And in our context, where are we going over the next 18 months? Having touched a little on where we have been during COVID, where are we going next? Now, in order to assess that as a congregation, in order to say where is God calling us the next 18 months, please remember the context in which we worship and minister. According to U.S. surveys, according to national magazines and U.S. census, Greenville is in the top 10 of American downtowns, has been for the last 10 or 15 years. 
we are now in the top 30 places to live, and in fact, we're much higher than the top 30. I'm only saying that out of humility, because in fact, we're in the top 10. We're one of the fastest growing large cities in the nation. The last time I checked, we were number four. We're the top 10 places to start a business in the U.S. We're the top micro cities of the future. We're on that top 10 list We are the city of the future for economic potential. And our city leaders are telling us to expect 500,000 new residents by 2031. This is a large, growing, vibrant city. And God has called us to minister at its heart. And what a remarkable privilege that is. Local television station WYYF Channel 4, when they interviewed a local mayor, Knox White, whom most of you know and know well, about the growth and development of cities and towns in the upstate, Knox suggested that they come and interview us here at First Pres to say something about the faith community in the upstate. That was a remarkable compliment that city leaders and national leaders are coming to us to hear a Christian voice in the development of our community and our city. It is a remarkable thing to be part of First Pres, exactly where we are in these days. And most of you are also aware that over the last four or five years we have been focused on a strategic plan. And that strategic plan brought to the surface a number of spiritual imperatives. And the first was this, that we will always seek to provide a secure spiritual home for this community. A place where folks can have a sense of belonging. Secondly, we believe that our ministry should be life-giving and life-affirming. Thirdly, we should be a place of learning and growing in our faith, drawing closer and closer to Christ Sunday by Sunday. Fourthly, we should be a church who is focused on developing intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. We have a church where I can look out on a Sunday morning and see nine-year-olds to 90-year-olds across our services. And that is a remarkable thing. Not all congregations can say that, but we can and we build on that. And we offer ministries that will have a focus on intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. We're also intentionally preparing and equipping folks to live out our lives And if you live out our faith, please, in our daily lives. And if you've been with us during recent Sundays when we've looked at the Ten Commandments, we've dealt with some emotionally charged and controversial issues. And we've dealt with them intentionally because we believe that when we open up the Scriptures on Sunday morning, it equips us morally, spiritually, to live out our faith. And finally... We're called to care for and be committed to transforming the spiritual heart of the city. And we do that primarily in this way, that week by week by week we interact and engage with the living God. And that's our number one purpose on Sunday morning, is to seek His presence, 
His leading, his guiding and directing, his shaping and fashioning and sustaining of our lives as we seek to be a Christian influence in our city, our state, and our nation. And when this week we begin to think of stewardship, that's what we are supporting. Those are some of the ministries that we get alongside and say prayerfully, we believe God is calling us to be the people of God in these areas. And it's important and vital for us as a church to be at the heart of our city in a strategic sense. Now you may be sitting there and saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I was awfully grateful to receive magazine from Striving to Thriving. And incidentally, if you no longer have it or want it, it's in the literature racks as you leave this morning. You can pick that up. And you may be saying, I was quite honestly surprised and delighted that all of the ministries we're involved in. I'm in full agreement with everything you've said this morning. But Richard, here's my question. What on earth does any of that have to do with 1 John chapter 3? What is the connection there? Well, thank you for asking. Because here is the Apostle John, as we mentioned earlier, in his late 80s, possibly his early 90s. He's writing to a number of churches in Asia Minor, as I mentioned And he's encouraging them in those first two chapters to look back and give thanks for all that God has done. And then when you come to chapter 3, he begins to shift their focus into who they are becoming and where they are going. And as we come to chapter 3, we're going to pick up some of those themes from this epistle. And as John begins chapter 3, New Testament scholars tell us that he begins in a remarkable manner. He begins with words so arresting, so compelling, that we simply cannot afford to miss them. And in fact, most of our study will be on verse 2, which I think I could argue contains the five most remarkable words in all of Scripture. And let me say that again, because that is making quite a claim. I would genuinely argue, in chapter 2, we have the five most remarkable words in verse 2. And those words are, We shall be like Him. But that's not where he begins the chapter. And so let's look at the opening verse. And John writing to encourage his first century readers writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And in writing those words, he is in fact, as I mentioned seconds ago, seeking to arrest our attention. He's seeking to say, please stop, please concentrate, please grasp the enormity of what I have just written and try to take it in. Because what I am writing 
defies our understanding and we find it hard to get our imagination even around these words. They are absolutely remarkable. And I imagine the old apostle dictating this epistle to a younger clerk and as he is dictating it, he is shaking his head in utter incredulity, almost catching his breath when he writes, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. In fact, in the old King James Version, the opening word is, Behold, behold, it's almost as if, at least in my mind, I envisage a young lady just being proposed to. And that night when she separates from her boyfriend and she goes home and she is showing her ring to her parents for the first time and she has phoned her friend and texted them and taken a photograph of it and when she's alone in her own room thinking of her future she takes off her ring and she holds it up and she watches it sparkle and she delights that she's in love and can't wait for her future to unfold. And in those quiet, private, intimate moments, it's almost as if she holds it up and says, Behold! And the New International Translators add an exclamation mark that is entirely valid. It's not in the original Greek. And John wouldn't know what an exclamation mark is in the original Greek. But the translators have added it and have added it rightly. And they say that we should be called children of God. And can you see the exclamation mark? In fact, they add it again. And that is what we are. And they add a second exclamation mark. The language used here, the translators have been so moved that they've added an exclamation mark, is used less than a handful of times in the entirety of the New Testament. And you find it in Luke 1.28, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and he says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, exclamation mark. Because Mary's response is, there's been a mistake. This, this can't be happening. Uh, there's a misunderstanding here. This can't possibly be that I, I am highly favored. By the Lord God Almighty, He who spoke and the world came to be, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And I almost in my mind imagine Gabriel smiling and saying, Mary, if you think the greeting is something, just wait, because I'm about to give you news that's going to knock your socks off. You, Mary, will give birth to the Son of God. And the translators have taken all of that wonder and awe 
and breathtaking incredulity, and they have applied it, rightly so, with great validity, to the opening words of this chapter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Children of God. And John is calling us to awe and wonder. Not just once, but twice. It is absolutely astounding. It is astonishing that we should be called children of God. And then he reinforces it. And if that is not enough, John goes on in verse 2, and he writes, Dear friends, Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, in other words, the second coming, we shall be like Him. We shall be like Him. John is reminding us who we truly are in Christ. John is telling us it's not enough that he has called to us and drawn us to himself. It's not enough that he has cleansed us and redeemed us and taken away our sins. It's not enough that he has given to us his righteousness. It's not enough that we will be there when He comes again. It's not enough that He has transformed and renewed us and given us a new nature. And John is saying it's so much greater than that. For we shall be like Him. Perfect in every way, with glorified, renewed bodies, sinless people. The book of Hebrews tells us this, that He is just like us in every way except sin. And think of His humility. He was born in a stable gave up the glories and wonders of heaven that we might come to know Him. Think of His humility and His meekness. And going to the cross when He was abused and insulted and beaten, never attacked, never insulted in return. His humility and His meekness and his compassion, his longing to serve, all perfect. And when he comes, we shall be like him. Can we, will we ever get over the wonder of that? And since we belong to him, 
John is reminding his own readers in the first century and does in the 21st century, live out your faith day by day by day. Hold on to his love. Live out your faith in moral and spiritual standards. Belong to him. Let others see Christ in you. And so we jump to verses 16 to 18. In fact, verse 18, he continues again. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Actions and truth. Earlier I mentioned some of the ministries we have been involved in in the last 12 months or so. And several of us, and we've seen it in Sunday mornings when we've been involved with baptisms, several of us as parents and grandparents have had children born into our families in these last 12 months. And you know, of course, that when family and friends come to see the new baby, the ooh and ah and ask for a hold. And then the next thing they do is this. Not only will they hold the wee one close, but they will then begin to speculate. And they'll look very closely and say, Oh, he has his mother's eyes. Look at that. He has his grandfather's ears and his dad's mouth. And they're looking for a family resemblance. And in those early weeks, the resemblance may not be obvious, may not appear, but genetically is there. And if we are the children of God, who has lavished his love upon us endlessly, immeasurably, are we showing day by day a family resemblance? Are we living out our faith? Are we modeling for our children and our grandchildren and the people in our neighborhood what it means to have a genuine, authentic faith? And part of that means taking seriously our call to stewardship. And there's the connection. And John makes it clear. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. And so this week, let me encourage you. When your stewardship letter arrives, along with the commitment card, go back and read 1 John chapter 3. And in light of all that He has done for you, call to be like Him with that overwhelming, unbelievable promise that we shall be like Him prayerfully, carefully, Love with action. Fill out our commitment card. Bring it forward next Sunday morning at the end of our service and say, as for me and my household, I want to support the fact that we are strategically located at the heart of this city. I want to be part of a congregation who will focus on the transformation of the spiritual heart of this city. 
because we long for others to know His love and grace and experience what it means to have His love lavished upon us. And let me close with this thought. Several years ago, I mentioned this to us, the part of our capital campaign. And incidentally, a very brief update on our capital campaign. We will take over our children's section in about three weeks. We'll take possession of the entire new building and all the new facilities end of March, early April next year. I checked yesterday. We've had... $19.96 million contributed or pledged. We are $40,000 from moving into a new year with $20 million. What a remarkable testimony that is to your prayerful commitment and dedication. And incidentally, if you've not had a chance to give yet or have been waiting for whatever reason... And you're thinking of donating that $40,000. Please let us know what a difference that would make to go into 2022, knowing $20 million was there. Way beyond halfway towards our target. What a joy that would be. Darrell Gooder, in focusing on the ministry of congregations, writes this. And he's comparing 1st century church and the 21st century church. And he says this, The one is more or less passive, yielding to influences from outside. The other is active, influencing, rather than being influenced. The one looks to the past, the other to the future. The one is anxious, the other is prepared to take risks. The one guards boundaries, the other crosses them that's us that's what we're called to and we're called to be a people who put love into action and why because we shall be like him let's pray together father thank you for what a wonderful passage of scripture this morning Help us please in the week ahead, this week of stewardship, to meditate on it, return to it, realize the enormity and the significance of it. And bless us, strengthen us, and encourage us please in this stewardship season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.